Good morning, everyone. I've been looking forward to uh, the chance to worship with you this morning and open God's Word with you. I'm loving the series that we are in here at Gospel Fellowship, bringing special attention to children and teenagers and young adults in your faith and in your walk with Christ. The Bible speaks to uh, all sorts of different people. It speaks to employers, so we have to challenge and encourage employers. It speaks to employees and moms and dads, but it also speaks a lot to kids uh, and to youth and to young people. So today, we are going to talk about a Christian vision for sibling relationships, a Christian vision for brothers and sisters. I want you to raise your hand if you have a brother or sister somewhere out there in the world. Wow. Raise your hand if you have a brother or sister in the room right now. Wow. Okay, lots of you. Raise your hand if you are are raising multiple kids or grandkids or nieces or nephews. Okay. So I need you to be thinking on two tracks today. I'm really going to be focusing my attention for kids and teenagers and for young adults. Um, But I also want you to be thinking about uh, if you are parenting multiple kids. So some of the principles we're going to talk about for Christian siblings are going to affect you as parents or grandparents. Uh, But it's not just for kids. Those of you who have adults or those of you who are adults and you have siblings out there in the world, the principles we're going to talk about are going to apply to you as well. Now, I, when I grew up, I grew up with one older brother. His name was Mark. I had two half-sisters from dad's uh, previous marriages, but didn't grow up in the same home with them. My brother Mark was seven years older than me, and this was my brother's favorite pastime, beating me to a pulp. And I'll give you a quick story of, of Robbie and Mark growing up. Uh, it was Christmas time. And I was 15, so my brother was 22, 21, and he, it was Christmas time, so he was back on Christmas break from college, and I grew up in Connecticut. And it was the week between Christmas and New Year's, and I had a job that week dog-sitting for the neighbors who were on vacation. And the neighbor's house was about a quarter mile, half mile up the street, and I woke up one morning at 6 o'clock to go do the dog care. And it had snowed all night, so I want you to think like New England, winter, wonderland, six inches of snow on the ground. And uh, I'm like, oh, I don't want to trudge all the way up the street to take care of that dog. So I don't want to walk, I want to drive. So remember my age. 15, that's right. So do I have a driver's license? No, I do not. But my brother's car is sitting there in the driveway, and I think I should take his car. Now, it was a manual stick shift car, and I had seen people do that before. So I'm like, <laughs> how hard can that be? So it turns, you know, I get in there and figure out how to start it, and reverse actually is one of, if you've driven a stick shift car, it's kind of one of the harder gears to kind of get into and get used to, but whatever, I pop and grind, install the thing out into the street, get it in first, get the car up the road, and I, I take care of the dogs. Now, I get back in the car at 6.30 in the morning. And again, the snow's still trickling down. There's only one set of tire tracks up this road, right? No one else is out. And I say to myself, self, there is no reason why you should go directly home. You have a car, you're out, you should go enjoy. So rather than go out and turn right, which is home to my house, I go out and turn left because I want to go for a drive. Now, my brother also was, um, he was kind of into cars and into bikes and things like that. So he would be the kind of brother 
to, hey, let's go over to the mall and do donuts in the parking lot kind of thing, right? So he's just kind of into that. And this car also had that emergency brake. Not a lot of cars have it, but it was right here, the emergency brake you could pull. So he would do um, like fishtails, right, if it was snowing. So he'd take the turn, pull the emergency brake, fishtail around the back, then push the emergency brake down and then gun it and pull it back together. And I said, that's cool. I'm doing that. So I come up to the turn, I turn the wheel, I pull the emergency brake, and you're supposed to do, help my math, a turn is a 90, right? A 90 degree. So I do like a 4,780, <laughs> and the, the front of the car, it goes into this big snow bank, and the snow you know, comes down, and, and I am stuck, and I'm back and forth and forth and back and back and forth, and I'm just digging, just grinding this thing deeper and deeper into the snow bank. So it is, it is wrecked. There's no way I can get it back. So I have to walk home. I had to walk through this snow, which is the worst thing I was trying to avoid in the first place. And I have to wake up my brother, right? 22 years old. I have to wake him up. Hey, I stole your car. <laughs> and I wrecked your car. And I need it stuck. I need you to come get it out. So I, I have very few uh, memories, like, of the next year of my life from the, <laughs> the beating that I received from that. But let me... Um, let me tell you a little bit about how even this subject, I'll bet for most of you, uh, a sermon on sibling relationships might be the first time in your life you've ever heard a sermon on sibling relationships. This kind of began to dawn on us through our, our ministry with Visionary Family, that as, as we talked to parents, like if you were to survey uh, atheist parents and Christian parents, and you asked them, what's the purpose of parenting? What's parenting all about? Um, the Christian parents would throw in a, a little Jesus stuff. They would throw in a little spiritual stuff. They'd throw in a little Bible stuff. And same thing, if you surveyed um, atheist married couples and Christian married couples and you asked them, what's the purpose of marriage? What's marriage all about? The Christian married couples would throw in uh, some things about their faith. Well, God wants us to love each other. God brought us together, has a purpose. But I want you to imagine for a minute uh, that, that you are, uh, you're a parent and, and you don't believe in God. You don't believe God exists at all. And you've got two kids. If you're an atheist, a person who doesn't believe in God, what would be your vision for how your two kids would get along? What would be, you, you would give me some good answers right now. What would, what would be your vision for how your two kids would get along? You don't believe in God, but what's your sibling vision? They want them, want them to be friends. Be kind. Care for each other, right? Stick up for each other, defend each other, share, be nice, right? It, it would be a nice list of things. But then we went out and surveyed Christian parents, and we said, okay, what is your vision as Christian parents for the sibling relationships in your house? And what did they say? The exact same stuff the exact same list. And so what we found out is that the atheist vision for siblings was the exact same vision as the Christian vision for siblings. And that gave us a red flag. Well, somebody's missing something because the sibling relationship is something God created. It's all his idea that there would be brothers and that there would be sisters. And so we became convinced that we had actually lost a distinctively Christian vision for sibling relationships. The Bible speaks to sibling relationships a lot more often uh, than, than we think. So here's one example of that. This is Psalm 133, 1. It says, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. 
Almost all the time when you read an article about this verse or listen to a sermon about this verse, the pastor is going to use this passage, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity, to talk about church relationships, how good and pleasant it is when church folk get along, when churches are unified. But can anybody give me a ballpark of when this psalm was written? Ballpark, date. Just roughly, the psalms were written in around what time? 1,000 B.C., good. Roughly, if you, if you need just a general number, 1,000 B.C. So is this a verse about church relationships? No, there is no right church in New Testament terms at all. When you find most of the time when you find the word brother in the Bible, you know what it means? It means brother. Yeah, like sibling brother. Now, there are times when brothers mean brothers in your community, you know, community brothers, or certainly in New Testament terms, brothers and sisters in Christ. But this verse isn't about the church. It's about the family, how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters in a family dwell together in unity. Well, that changes that, doesn't it? Let me show you another one. First Peter chapter 3. Now, this is a church verse. Finally, all of you, talking to church people, all of you live in harmony with one another be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. Now, what does this mean? Again, this is an instruction for the church, for God's people. So here's the way it is. Um, God says, here's how I want you to treat people at church. Think about how you treat your brothers and sisters at home. And when you come to church, treat folks the same way. Love as brothers love just like you do your brothers and your sisters. And some of you are like, I don't think you want me to do that. I don't think that's going to work really well for, for our church here. But you see, the sibling relationship, this is why it's so important. The sibling relationship, brothers and sisters, it's the picture that God gave us for how church relationships are supposed to look. That's the template. That's the image that you love each other like siblings. So Satan and the demons are really smart. You know what they do? They break the sibling relationship so that Christians have no clue about what the church relationship is supposed to look like. Now, sibling relationships are not easy. Um, now, I'm, I got a little video clip for you here. I, I'm not totally endorsing this movie, but I like the clip. It's, uh, it's from the diary of a wimpy kid, uh, Long Haul. Here we go. Let's see if we've got the, the audio ready. I think that speaks for a lot of us with siblings. Like, we love the idea of sibling relationship, but this particular combination of siblings, not so sure about. Now, this, this is very much a, a living uh, uh, message for me. As you know, there's a lot of siblings in our household. Uh, we've been blessed with seven kids. We've got two married now, so we're up to nine. Um, and then, oh, oh, there's my beautiful granddaughter. Yes, uh, there she is. She's phenomenal, isn't she? On the way, God, God willing, um, in, in June, I've got more pictures I can show you after church if you'd like to, <laughs> like to see those. But here's what we're going to do this morning. We are going to look at three sets of siblings in the Bible. These are not Bible people. Now, they're in the Bible, but they're, not bi they're people people. They're just as people as you. They're totally normal people, and they're normal siblings. 
Uh, and what we're going to do is we're going to contrast what Satan wanted for those siblings and what God wanted for those siblings, and we're going to pull out three challenges, three action steps that you can apply with your brothers and your sisters, uh, no matter how old uh, you are. So first set of siblings, Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4. Uh, we just had that read for us a minute ago, but I'm going to read you the real history again of what happened between Cain and Abel. This is Genesis chapter 4, beginning in verse 3. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The New Testament tells us that the difference between the offerings was uh, that Abel offered his sacrifice with faith in a believing heart. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? In other words, God invites Cain to offer his sacrifice again, except this time do it with a believing heart. If you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to his brother Abel, then when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? He said, I do not know, am I my brother's keeper? And the answer to Cain's question, of course, is what? Yes, it is, particularly as the older brother. So here's the contrast that I want to pull out of this, this passage, and that's this, that Satan wants spiritual competition between siblings, and God wants spiritual connection. Cain had this idea that Abel was more accepted by God than he was, that Abel, if you will, was God's favorite. Now, one of the things you'll see in the patriarchal families in the Bible and in families today is this sin of favoritism. Whenever there's a sin of favoritism in the family, it's going to be wreaking havoc on the relationships, particularly the sibling, uh, the sibling relationships. So Satan wants that spiritual competition, but God wants spiritual connection. Now, we're not saying that competition's bad with kids, like with sports and things like that. Remember, how my brother was seven years older than me. So what percentage of uh, sports competitions did I win when we played together? Zero percent. There was no, oh, let Robbie win sometime, right, for the sake of his fragile self-esteem. It was crush him like a bug. That was the policy. So I preferred uh, racket sports. If I'm playing with my brother, I prefer racket sports because then I had something to strike him with, <laughs> some way I could chase him and hurt him after the, the game was over. Okay. But, but I want to talk to you about this, this idea of spiritual connection. What is, what is spiritual connection? This is something that my brother and I discovered after we became adults. So we grew up in a home. We had a, a non-Christian. Our dad did not know Jesus did not believe in God. Mom was a Christian. And one of the things that my brother and I realized after we became adults, as we look back on our childhood, we didn't have any memories of the two of us praying together, just us. We had a lot of memories of praying with mom. So mom would say, okay, boys, time to pray. So we would pray together, mom and Robbie and Mark. But we didn't have any memories of just the two of us praying without mom. And, and as we started to unpack that, 
We also realized that our, our church didn't really help us in the sense that I would be in sixth grade and my sixth grade Sunday school teacher would be saying, okay, Robbie, you need to have a Christian friend. You know, you need to have like a brother in Christ, somebody that you can pray with and be a spiritual support to you. And my brother was a senior in high school and, and they were telling him, well, Mark, you need to have a Christian friend. You need to have a brother in Christ, like a prayer partner, somebody that you can, you know, pray with and, and do life together with. Like it never dawned on us, never dawned on me that I had a brother in Christ, that I had a prayer partner and he slept right down the hall from me in, in, in our house. So we were building Christian friendships with people outside the house, and we weren't actually building a distinctively Christian friendship together. So the action step for siblings, challenge number one, is pray together. Pray together. Siblings, I want to challenge you with your brothers and sisters to get used to asking the question of them, how can I pray for you today? And that can be verbally, how can I pray for you? That can be a text. Do you share a room with a sibling before you go to sleep? How can I pray for you? Is there something we can pray about together? Or, hey, can I just close our day in prayer? Praying together with someone is always going to bond you spiritually with them. I think about Lainey, and I think about uh, Millie and our, our daughters, and I think about uh, if, if you ask them kind of their story about their relationship as sisters they'll tell you that one of the, the glues that kept them together during a lot of like difficult, normal sister conflict times was that daily or nightly, I should say, prayer together before bed. How can I pray for you? A short prayer together. Parents, something that you can do, and we don't do this all the time at family worship, but every now and then, instead of doing family prayer, We'll just split people up. We'll say, okay, J.D. and Laney, you guys find a place to pray. Millie, Ray, and Rush, you guys find a place to pray. You know, if you want to share prayer requests with each other, you can pray for each other. Because we want our kids to have a direct spiritual relationship apart from us. I want them to have it with us also, but I want it to be away from us as well. Now, you may be in the same situation that my brother and I found ourselves in, that we were Christian adults we even we lived a thousand miles apart, but we realized that we had never developed the habit of praying with each other and for each other. So maybe you've got a Christian sibling out there in the world, but you don't pray for each other. Oh, you don't even ask each other, how can I pray for you? So to this afternoon might be a phone call, might be a text. Hey, this might seem a little weird. You were on my mind today. Is there any way I could pray for you? And, and it, there's going to be a lot of awkwardness as you uh, move from a relationship where you don't pray together to a relationship where you do pray together. So that's just part of the deal. You're going to have to face into that awkwardness and, uh, and press through it. So raise your hand again if you have a sibling in the room. Raise your hand if you have a sibling in the room right now. Okay, I want you to turn to that sibling and say, we need to pray together. <laughs> All right, that was awkward. Moving on. Here we go. Next you, you get to the next account in God's Word, and, and you find uh, three siblings. You, this is the Noah history now, and you find three siblings named Shem, Ham, and Japheth. How many of you have a little Noah's Ark picture book, childhood story Bible, Noah's Ark thing at home? Anybody ever seen that little cardboard book? There's, there's a page, and you can go home and do the research. There's a page in those children's books that are usually biblically inaccurate. 
And it's the page with old man Noah out in the field with the wooden hammer building the ark. Can you picture that little cartoon page for me? And the reason why that page is almost always wrong in those little books is he's usually by himself out in the field building the ark. You can't build an ark by yourself. Not it's hard to build an ark by yourself. You can't build an ark by yourself. And he didn't. God gave, he gave, God gave Noah three strapping sons. And God gave them a family chore to do for a little less than 100 years. You try a family chore for an afternoon. Let me know how it goes for you. And remember, these are not Bible people. These are people people. So these are real siblings, real brothers, who God is tasked to work together to help the family. Quick story. I probably shared this with you before. But when we had our first uh, child, our W, we, designed, we, we painted his nursery with the Noah's Ark theme. When we had our seventh child, we're like, is there a drawer for him or a closet somewhere we can tuck him away? But um, we're glad you're with us, Rush. But we didn't, paint, we didn't paint a whole room for you. So we designed the Noah's Ark theme for our W. So we've got the rainbow and we've got the, the, the ark and the animals and the clouds and the scripture stencil and all this. And we take the Bible very seriously in our family. So what we did at the bottom is we built, we, we painted like the land and the mountains and the deluge and the floating bodies, all the dead floating bodies all around the bottom of the room. And we told our infant son, we have designed your room about the wrath of God against sin where he wipes everybody out and we want this to comfort you while you sleep. No, we didn't do the second part. We stopped at the animals. But it is a curious Bible history. All these churches, right? The nurseries all know. This is not a happy story, friend, right? But okay, the animals are cute. All right, what am I talking about? Here we go. Principles. Satan wants siblings to work separately to help themselves. And God wants siblings to work together to help the family. Satan wants siblings to work separately to help themselves. And God wants siblings to work together to help the family. So what's the challenge on this one? The challenge is work together. Work together. Now, I know this is difficult, all right? Because if you want to get something done, there's three levels of getting things done. If you want to get it done quick and get it done right, how do you do it? Especially parents tell me. Do it yourself, right? The next level down is to try to train, uh, have one child do the job. Train the child to do it. It's going to take a long time to train them. It's not going to go so good. Worst case scenario is ask multiple children to work on the same job at the same time, right? Because it's going to be World War III and we're going to have all these, uh, all these problems. And siblings or kids, teenagers, how many have ever found that it is hard to do a project like with your brother, with your sister? And sometimes you're just like, just leave me alone. Let me do it. Raise your hand if you ever had that feeling. Okay. Um, So I'm going to give you this challenge that it's worth learning to work together. It's worth learning to actually do the job side by side. Now, there might be some bad applications of of this. I wasn't exactly sure where I heard this. I think a friend shared it with me. I don't exactly remember the source, but um, they were trying to put this into practice, and siblings were trying to put this into practice, and they were given the task of cleaning up the dog do in the backyard. And so the older brother said, hey, let's do this together. Okay, we'll get it done faster. I'll find all the piles and you pick them all up. Okay, Uh, that's maybe not what we're, uh, not a very equitable division of of labor there. Um, 
But let me tell you something, parents, let me talk to you on this for, for just a minute, because Amy does this in a, in a way that is, is much better than me. See, I'm much more impatient, so I want to get the job done. So, all right, kids, get out of the way. Let dad do it. Uh, Amy has a, a, a better vision because she's actually trying to help the kids learn to work together. So I'll pick on the girls here. So from time to time, Amy will say, okay, Lainey, Millie, um, I want you guys to clean the bathroom together. And I want to be really clear about why I'm having you do the bathroom. I, I, yes, I want the bathroom clean, but uh, I've got a bigger objective here. I want the two of you to learn to work together with happy hearts. That's really why I'm having you do this. And that is a much harder task than getting a bathroom clean. So she actually like explains like what she's trying to do. And so the girl's like, okay, work together, happy hearts, work together, happy hearts, right? Get out of my way. Uh, it's not easy. Uh, but casting the vision for it and explaining what we're trying to do makes a huge, huge difference. And so kids, teenagers, I want to challenge you, discipline yourself. If you've got uh, a chore or a task that has to be done, it's worth the extra frustration and difficulty to try to do it with your brother, to try to do it with your sister, because you're actually building a relationship where you're learning how to work together. So, if you've got a sibling in the room, turn to them and say, we need to work together. Yeah, happy sermon today, huh? All right, let's talk about uh, another set of siblings. We'll talk about Jacob and Esau. If you remember Jacob and Esau, these are twins. Esau is born first, and Jacob comes out of his mom's womb holding the heel of Esau, right? His name means grasps the heel. And if you know the history, you know that Jacob is mom's favorite and Esau is dad's favorite. These patriarchal families have favoritism. That's one of their generational sins that spreads through Joseph and his brothers, right? Uh, it's Isaac and Ishmael and all these things. Um, so Jacob's mom, in, in these uh, biblical families, the oldest son would inherit the birthright. What that meant was that he would be the leader of the, the next generation of the family. So he'd get extra inheritance because he was required to take care of uh, the siblings and the, the generations of the family. So the oldest son would inherit the leadership of the next generation. So Jacob's mom helped Jacob hatch a plan where he could steal the birthright from his older brother Esau. And it, it worked. And Esau then finds out what Jacob has done to steal his birthright. And Esau goes ballistic. The New Testament tells us he was a very angry man. But Esau does, like when there are sibling conflicts in the Bible, particularly brother conflicts, Esau prepares to do what most of the brothers in the Bible do when they get ticked, which is what does he want to do to Jacob? Kill him. Exactly. So like, let's say you're a biblical family and there's a sibling problem, option number one is, I'm going to kill you. Not, I'm going to kill you, man. No, I'm going to kill you. That was like, that's first choice on conflict resolution for biblical families. Um, now, so Jacob has to run away. He runs away for 20 years. And in fact, the, their reconciliation story, which we had read earlier as a part of the scripture reading, is one of the most powerful reconciliation stories in, in the Bible. And here are the principles that I want to pull out of this from Jacob and Esau, that Satan wants siblings bitter and separated. God wants siblings 
to forgive quickly. Satan wants siblings bitter and separated. God wants siblings to forgive quickly. Now, I hope you don't have, I hope you're not a biblical family in the sense that you have that option one is I'm going to kill you in your sibling conflicts. I do have a little video of, um, of the kind of sibling violence that may be more common in our families today. Here we go. Some of you aren't old enough to know this, but the internet was invented to share that video. That, might, that probably was like the first viral video. All right, here we go. Let me show you a scripture on reconciliation from Ephesians chapter 4 uh, on reconciling quickly. It says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. This was a passage that my mom used a lot when we were growing up. Basically, what this meant is that we could not go to bed, my brother and I, without unresolved conflict, without an unresolved problem. We had to sit down and talk about it and confess and ask forgiveness and say, I forgive you. And, 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 and so what that meant was a lot of late nights, right, because we didn't want to have to deal with the things. We were both very angry and both very hurt about what had happened. But it also meant that I don't, I don't have any memories of going to bed uh, with unresolved hurt and anger toward my brother. Now, it doesn't mean I went to bed happy every night because there were things that happened in our relationship which were very, very hurtful. But think of it like this. Like, you know, some of the wounds were really big. Some of the wounds were, were really deep. If you get a huge, you know, chop on your arm, it's not going to be healed before you go to bed. But it can be cleaned out it can be bandaged up and you can go to bed, right? So you did the kind of the necessary uh, ER work to address that wound and then it's going to heal over time. So that's one big practical challenge here. The challenge on this one is to forgive each other, forgive each other. And I'm going to give you a a four-step process for apologizing and for granting forgiveness. See, the problem is my generation in particular, we learned really bad ways of apologizing and dealing with conflicts. So I'm in third grade, I'm out on the playground, I get in the fight, in a fight with some boy, and the teacher comes out and separates us and says, you boys say you're sorry. What do we say? Yeah, sorry. Okay, so she says, say sorry. I say, sorry. And she says to the other little boy, say sorry. He says, sorry. Teacher then pats us on the head and said, good little boys, go back and play. Now, she said, say sorry, and we said sorry. But what did we really say? I'm not sorry. sorry. I hate you. Wait till she's gone. That's what we actually said. But because the the syllables sorry protruded from the mouth, somehow we got a pat on the head and everything's good. So we've got Christian families all over the place that kind of do the same thing. 
One person says, sorry. The other person says, okay. That's S-O-K-A-Y. And uh, we think that, like, sorry, it's okay, is actually exchanging, right, some confession and some forgiveness. So I'm going to give you a little bit more of a robust plan. If you had a video camera in our house, which I hope you don't, you would, you would see this working its way out, sibling to sibling, husband to wife, uh, parent to child. First step in a biblical apology is you confess what you did. You confess what you did. That is I verb you. I verb you. I yelled at you. I lied to you. I bit you. Whatever the verb, whatever you did. It's just one sentence where you say what you did. And then you acknowledge you were wrong. You acknowledge you were wrong. That one goes like this. I was wrong. Let's all say that together, shall we? One, two, three. I was wrong. Very good. Some of you have never said that before. That was well done. Um, another little movie clip here uh, from a kid's movie, Megamind. Some of you parents might not know Megamind. Megamind's a little cartoon movie. There's a little blue dude, and the blue dude is the bad guy, but in the middle of the movie, he sees the error of his ways, and he becomes the good guy and becomes the hero. But when he realizes the error of his ways, he has to like apologize to his henchmen for being the evil guy because he now wants to be the good guy. So this is his apology to his little minion. <laughs> Just couldn't quite get that out. Let's all say it again, shall we? I was wrong. One, two, three. I was wrong. Good. Practice up. It's not easy. Okay, number three, express regret. This is where you say, I'm sorry, or I feel bad that I hurt you, or I, I know that what I did hurt you. I, I feel bad about it. I'm sorry. And then number four is to ask for forgiveness with this question, will you please forgive me. Can you see, and what we're hoping for from that brother or sister is, yes, I'll forgive you. Sometimes that may be slow in coming, and that's okay. But can you see how um, uh, I lied to you, and I was wrong, and I feel really bad. I know that hurt you. Will you please forgive me? Yes, I forgive you. Can you see how that operates at a whole different level in the heart and in the spirit than sorry, it's okay? So you're going to have to practice yourself up. Parents, this is a, a, a freebie for you. It's really not a sibling principle. But one of the things that, that I think it's really important for us to do, especially when, when we have to apologize for anger, when we have to apologize for, for harshness going zero to 60 with our kids. So if I yell at Rush, for me to say, Rush, I yelled at you, confession, I was wrong. And then this is so critical. Rush, it was not your fault that I got mad and yelled at you. That was my fault. And I know that when I lose my temper like that, it hurts you. And I'm really sorry. Will you please forgive me? Yes, Dad, I forgive you. Uh, will you give your heart back to me? Yes, Dad, I give my heart back to you. Proverbs 23, 26. Okay, let me try to talk to you about what happened a few minutes ago. No, no, Dad, you lost your chance. You lost your temper and that's it. Um, no, I get a do-over just like you get do-overs too. So the action step is forgive each other. So turn to that sibling and say, we need to forgive each other. Things are getting harder and harder to say, aren't they? <laughs> All right. Let's talk about one more set of siblings uh, in, in the Bible. We, we just did a crash course on some of the siblings in Genesis. But if you keep reading in your Bible and you get to the book of Exodus through Deuteronomy, the last uh, four books of, of the Pentateuch, 
Who are the three main characters in Exodus through Deuteronomy? Three main characters. Moses, Aaron, Miriam. Yeah, Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Can anybody tell me anything about Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, what you might know about how they're connected? They're siblings. It's two brothers and a sister. And again, they're not Bible people. They're in the Bible, but they're people, people. This is two brothers and a sister. And here's what I want you to see here. God called them to a together mission for His kingdom. God called these siblings together to serve Him together for a together mission for the kingdom. And here's what I want to challenge you with. Has it ever crossed your mind that God might have brought you into the world with a sibling because He has a together mission for you? Because He might even have a lifelong mission for you with your future families, just like Moses and Aaron and Miriam had their families, but they were still serving God together. Now, I don't know what God has for for our seven kids, right? God says that children are like arrows in the hands of a warrior. So I want to launch my kids out into the world for Christ, one uh, next door with grandbabies, but uh, whatever. But but is it possible that God brought two, three, four, five, six, seven of our kids into the world together because He has a together mission for them? He has a together purpose for them. I, I don't know. So here's what we do every now and then in our family worship time, is just to pray a prayer that goes something like this. God, if you have brought uh, two or more of these kids into the world together for a shared mission, would you just make that obvious to us? Would you make that calling clear and and sure? Because we don't want to think just individualistically, what's God calling you to do? What's God calling you to do? What's God calling you to do? It might be a what's God calling us to do. And if you just go to Him in humble faith, and ask the Lord, God, if you have a shared mission, either for a month or for a year or for a lifetime, would you please make that known to us? And parents, this, can, this is something I really encourage you to do. Again, every now and then at your family worship time, pray a prayer kind of like that, because there actually is a ministry that God gives to siblings, and it's a very difficult ministry. It's in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Does anybody know a ministry that God gives to siblings? take care of their parents in their old age. How many families blow up when it comes time for the younger generation to take care of mom and dad? How many of you parents want to be well taken care of in your old age? Put your hand up for me. All right. So you see, applying all these principles, this is just to get the team working well so they take good care of us. Amen? (laughs) Amen. So we have a vested interest in application here uh, here this morning. All right. Would Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Uh, we're going to pray a little bit together and ask the Lord to help break us out of, of kind of a worldly vision for sibling relationships. God, I thank you for uh, all the boys and girls and teenagers and young adults and every one of us in this room that you've blessed with a sibling somewhere out there in the world. And Lord, we, uh, we confess that sibling relationships are really hard. They're filled with conflict, and a lot of that's because the enemy attacks sibling relationships so ferociously and so intensely. But, but Lord, we also confess that um, maybe we've been investing even more in our Christian friendships than we have our brothers and sisters in Christ in our families. For some of our sibling relationships, we don't ever pray together. And God, I want to pray that 
your Holy Spirit would work in the hearts of the siblings here, that that would start even, uh, even today. We confess that it's easier to work separately rather than work together. I pray that you give us courage and strength and give us the character of patience and love and kindness to actually work together so that we can accomplish more, not just for our family, but for you. Uh, and also, God, teach us really what it means to forgive. A lot of us have hurts and wounds that have been under the surface for a long time. We did not deal with things each day, but took them to bed, and now bitter roots have grown up to cause trouble. So I ask, Lord, for a fresh uh, anointing of your Holy Spirit in our families that would enable us uh, to forgive. You command us to forgive one another as you have forgiven us. Help our church be filled with Christian sibling relationships, which will overflow then uh, into our, brother, our relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.